We return to our discussion with Kevin Costola of Dissenter.org as he shares the significance of WikiLeaks. Everybody at every media organization, if they get these files, a lot of times they're going to put out, they're not going to put them all out, but they're going to put out parts of those documents so we can see what they were using to put this all together. So Julian Assange enters the Ecuador embassy in 2012. He is facing the sexual allegation charges in Sweden, which we don't need to get into because all you have to know is that his due process rights were violated because the Swedish government dropped the case against him multiple times and reopened the case multiple times. And it's clear that there was some kind of politics going on. And his claim was that they wanted to bring him to Sweden so that they could extradite him from Sweden to the United States. And I might just add that we have had Ray McGovern and we've discussed this in great depth, these sexual allegations and the, um, mm-hmm. the limits of their veracity. So, yeah. yeah. So if people want those specifics, they just can email me and we will forward the bringing light into darkness link information. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So just to speed through it, he's in there and there's a United Nations working group that has acknowledged that he has lived under arbitrary detention in some way or another for over a decade. And he was in the Ecuador embassy for about seven years. Towards the end, he's actually targeted by a spy company or a private security company in Spain called UC Global, who it's pretty clear although there's some evidence to still find out, but there's pretty good circumstantial evidence that the CIA is working with or working through UC Global to target Julian Assange and his family and lawyers and anyone who comes to visit him in the embassy. In fact, a lawsuit was just filed in the past week to defend the rights of journalists and attorneys who came there and had their electronics broken apart and they were rifled through. But anyways, back to Julian Assange. Julian is there and he gets arrested. And I'm sorry, but just this is really a significant, and it was an article you wrote that talked about this too, but that basically you couldn't go in to talk to Assange with any type of telephone or computer pad or, or whatever. And you left it at the front desk. But what they didn't know was that all of that information was getting copied by these intelligence sources, right? That was yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So yeah. this this security company, which is hired by Ecuador to protect diplomats and to protect that building, which I don't think anybody disputes that that security is acceptable. But what they're doing is now uh, they have some contract where they are stealing people's information and they are willing to even sell it. That's the allegation too, is that they're collecting this, the UC Global company, and they're going to sell it to people. The allegation is that that they're selling this information. And this is really significant because this is the kind of thing that makes it clear that Julian Assange can't have a fair trial in the United States because the CIA is collecting or the Justice Department has access to materials now that are they're going to be his attorney's legal strategy for defending him from these Espionage Act charges. So, so, so we get to the charges. Again, every step of the way, you're really given revelations that are really important to the American public. In addition to violation of client attorney privileged information, which is an egregious violation of Assange's rights to a fair trial. This is like J. Edgar Hoover, right? He had smack on so many people that if he knew some illicit sexual type of affair someone was having behind their spouse's back, then he had leverage to hang over that person's head to keep them from saying or doing or whatever. 
I mean, in that sense, this is the danger of the allowance of all of our privacy being actually covertly supervised, copied, and filed away by these CIA sources, right, or, or, or other sources. Yeah. And what's important is these U.S. citizens who are visiting Assange are not giving up their rights by going to see Julian Assange. Just because Julian Assange might be an intelligence target doesn't mean that the CIA gets to suddenly develop a program that involves spying on all the journalists and attorneys and, and any other celebrity or other figure who comes in contact with him. They have rights. And I think that's what this lawsuit is going to sort out is what kind of damages are owed? What kind of liability should former CIA director Mike Pompeo be responsible for? What does he what kind of liability does he have for for doing this? And I guess the other thing I was getting at, too, is at a more macro level, right? Not, yeah. You know, it's just the fact that let's say they had some type of really embarrassing, I mean, incredibly embarrassing information about me. And then I also had information that was incredibly incriminating about illegal war activity or something like that, something really significant. They could let me know that if I gave my information up, then they would give their information up. And therefore, the public is the one that loses in the end by not getting access to really important information about the world, not my own particular personal privacy issues, of course, aside. Yeah, you're right. It's, it, it's inverted. The balance of power is completely tipped in the favor of the national security agencies. You know, it's supposed to be us. Unfortunately, we're supposed to be the totalitarians who know all about our government leaders, but it's exactly the opposite. You know, like we're as citizens, we should be able to control them, but they've actually got it flipped around so that they can make sure they're able to pursue their programs and their agendas without interference from yeah, journalists or activists. Great point, Kevin. I mean, it's kind of like, just like we were just saying that the press has been inverted where they're, you know, they've, they've failed and they've given up their journalistic integrity to, to make a living or whatever at the expense of real information. Here you have the same thing in the security apparatus as well. It's supposed to be serving our democracy, and instead it's serving a status quo that we alluded to at the beginning of, of the show. And for us to determine the limits that we want for it as well. Like, you know, we are supposed to be able to, as there was a conversation in the 1970s about all these things we were learning, the CIA is plotting to kill leaders of countries. The, C the FBI has dossiers on the Black Panthers and all these other leaders of activist groups that they're going in, that they're disrupting and creating divisions among groups. And we say, oh, we don't actually want you to do that. That is something that is destructive to our democracy. And uh, that's we're supposed to be able to step in there. So I could I could tell you about Assange and the charges. And he, he faces 17 charges under the Espionage Act, which those listening to your show might have heard a little something or other about in the last week since we've been told. And it is the case that there was a search warrant executed against former President Donald Trump because they say that the documents he possessed meant that he was probably violating the Espionage Act. And that's sort of a separate deal. But it is interesting that right now in the last week, there are people who are getting an education on this law. Um, some of them are upset that Donald Trump was 
searched by the FBI. And then some of them are excited that Donald Trump has been targeted. But no matter what, they're learning some important things about this law that has been turned against WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange. And because he published files, I mean, that's really when you look at the allegations, the claim is that he published information on the Afghanistan war, and it may have resulted in some harm to informants who were working with the United States. And so we're going to claim that in order to go after him. It's clearly in retaliation because of what he exposed. And he has now been in Belmarsh prison for over three years while his health deteriorates, while over 300 doctors tell the world that this is causing a, a lot of suffering and taking a toll on him and that his survival is questionable. Kevin. Yeah. Yeah, the mental and physical state of, of Assange is something I want you to return to because it's so, so important. I've heard his mother speak to it and other people as well. But one thing you just mentioned that I wanted you to just reiterate a little bit more, or explicate a little bit more. You talked about that these documents that were released about Afghanistan may have harmed informants. That's what the state is saying. I am of the understanding that Snowden and WikiLeaks goes to a great extent in order to kind of insulate people in places that might reveal that type of information. Do you have any insight on that or what the representatives of Assange are arguing about that very issue? Did he unmask undercover people in Afghanistan, put them in harm's way? I don't know a single individual who was killed because WikiLeaks published information. And I don't think there's a single person who exists. So either the U.S. government doesn't know that anyone was killed or no one was killed because if a person existed, they would tell us their name. We would know that person. I'd be able to tell you right now they would be on CNN. Their name would be talked about on CNN for about a week after we knew about it. And then it would be mentioned regularly to remind us every time there was Julian Assange news, we'd be reminded that this person was killed. And it would just have to be one individual for us to hear it all the time. Absolutely. And that would actually, that could just be an accident. It, it may not even be WikiLeaks's fault that that happened. But if they could connect a person to WikiLeaks's publications, we would know all about it. That person does not exist. Yeah, so the absence of that evidence out front indicates they don't have it or else they would gladly share it. My question, though, also went to the issue of listening to Assange over the years. He often would mention how important it was to protect individuals, but to get yeah. out information. Is that your understanding? Yeah. Okay. So WikiLeaks took a complex view about informants, too, that upset the Pentagon because they said that some of those people perhaps are not as deserving of protection as we would think because if, if they're individuals who are capable of defending themselves and they've made a choice to align and work with U.S. occupiers in Iraq and Afghanistan, then maybe the people in those countries might have a right to know that those individuals are, are working against their population. So I think they were taking a viewpoint of like an Iraqi or even a, an Afghan who might say, why, why are you doing this? Why are you furthering the U.S. occupation against our town or against our village? They have flattened, they have bombed us, but you're providing information, you're bringing more war and suffering to us. And I think that like, that's an interesting view, one that 
is not tolerated on CNN or MSNBC because it, it it turns out that the U.S. military is actually the one that is responsible for the health and well-being of the informants. And in my view, it's actually not WikiLeaks's responsibility to take care of informants or any activists who the State Department or the Pentagon were working with. It's actually their problem. The U.S. government has to, once they know that this information is compromised, they had months, plenty of months before any of this material was revealed in which they could get people to safety if they were under any kind of threat because they know who they worked with. And if those people who wrote the like cables are naming these individuals in the cables, then they are, I guess, putting it at a little bit of a risk because we know that top secret America ballooned so greatly after September 11th attacks. And there were like over five to 10 million, I think at one point, well, I know there were 5 million people that had security clearances. There were many millions who had access to this information. Any one of those people could take that and put those people's lives at risk. It wouldn't have to just be WikiLeaks. So it's on the U.S. government to protect people who are at risk. Those, But I don't usually like to think of it like that because that's sort of like taking the U.S. view. But I know that it's a way to discredit WikiLeaks. And another way they try to discredit Assange is to say that he hacked into a U.S. military computer or helped Chelsea Manning hack into a U.S. Pentagon computer in order to get this information out. But what that always misses is that Chelsea Manning always had access to the material. Manning had a security clearance. Manning did not ask for any help from Julian Assange to get information. And they, they made up this theory about how Manning was working for Assange, that actually makes it easier for them to go after Assange and creates this lie about the independence of Manning. Manning made a choice all by herself to leak and and release these documents to the world. And it's very clear from her trial, from from her court martial, that she had thought about each set of documents that she was releasing and had a very clear reason, things she wanted us to know torture, the the collateral murder videos, the most vivid example that we have Mm. of all of this with the Apache helicopter attack in Baghdad, hearing the voices of soldiers who were like giddy and very excited and happy to be shooting defenseless people, including two Reuters journalists. Mm. And they want to be given the order to fire, even though they are violating the rules of engagement. And so, yeah, like to me, that's a little bit more uh, of the more crucial angle of all this. Very good. Let me just remind our listeners, we've got the great privilege of having Kevin Costello. He's a managing editor of Shatterproof. He curates the subscription newsletter, The Dissenter at dissenter.org. He's been covering whistleblowers and the latest in WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange's case. He's the author of a forthcoming book on many of these subjects that's called Guilty of Journalism, The Political Case Against Julian Assange. Let me ask you, and I'm fascinated by the information you're providing because it more cogently gives some context to this Julian Assange thing for our public. But also Assange was accused of being the source or being connected to Russia in the email releases around the DNC and and Hillary Clinton. Do you believe that that has any influence on the pursuit of his prosecution as well? And can you inform us a little bit more on the fact to this day that that is an allegation without proof being provided? The allegations about Assange and Russia may be part of why it's so difficult to get President Joe Biden 
and Attorney General Merrick Garland to drop the charges. But I don't think it's an enormous factor because both the Republican Party and the Democratic Party had no love for Julian Assange and WikiLeaks when they showed up on the scene in 2009 and 2010 and in 2011 when there were all these calls to clamp down on the organization. They developed an insider threat program to make sure that no more sources would give information to WikiLeaks. There were all sorts of attempts to say that People in these government agencies are not even allowed to access WikiLeaks.org on their computers if they're U.S. government employees. And if you're a military soldier, it would be like a, a violating the U.S. military code by reading a WikiLeaks document, even though that's just like a secret document that you might have in a government database if you had a security clearance. It's very bizarre. And sort of like through the looking glass Alice in Wonderland type thing. But all of this amounted to the fact that there was a agreement that they were not going to support Julian Assange and WikiLeaks as a, a journalism venture, as people who were engaged in journalism, that they were going to see it as something that was targeting the U.S. Now, what happened is the Justice Department looked at the kind of case they could bring against a Julian Assange. And in 2013, we had a report from the Washington Post that said that they backed away from bringing charges against Assange because they didn't think they could do it without creating a scenario where the New York Times, like an editor at the New York Times or a journalist at the New York Times who had worked on the documents, would now be exposed to a potential prosecution. And so they decided since they couldn't come up with a way to prosecute Assange without endangering journalism, they weren't going to go forward with a case at all. Very good. That's very interesting. Hey, so we have just a couple of more minutes left. And we've been visiting about the case of Julian Assange. Just wanted to give you an opportunity to sum up for the American public. The charges against him, we've talked about a little bit, if you want to elucidate that anymore. But also, what do you foresee is going to be happening over the next few months. And can you give us any type of update on his mental and physical welfare as we speak here tonight? In the next months, there will be two appeals that go through the British courts. And I'm covering those regularly at the dissenter.org. So if they want to know what's going to happen and highly likely that they will struggle and they will not prevail. One of the things we've learned through this case is just how subservient the UK government is to the US. Uh, they have put the diplomatic relationship between the US and the United Kingdom ahead of allowing Julian Assange to protect his rights and, and to have justice, to have a just outcome in these British courts. As that means he's on a path, I think, where he'll be brought to the US by next year at some point and will be put on trial. And it's important that everybody recognize that this targeting of journalism that is happening, it doesn't just affect those who are professional journalists. It affects us all. It affects people who are independent journalists, and it affects people who are just come home from their work and want to post things online. And, and who knows, maybe you work for any of these agencies and you decide you want to become a publisher and maybe you didn't even sign a non-disclosure agreement, but they're saying they can come after you if they don't like what you've published mm -hmm. and if it's deemed some kind of a threat to what these security agencies do on a regular basis. Well, it's almost like, Kevin, if somebody saw 
your neighbor saw someone break into your house and steal your most precious belongings, and then you were afraid to report that. That's what we're talking about, you know, that they are intimidating journalists. I mean, even if outside of this particular case, I mean, God help a whistleblower, but even things as far as making a statement or taking a position based on the knowledge that you have and the information that you have, people get accused of being Assad apologists, Putin apologists. I mean, we've stopped looking at and critically analyzing the substance of somebody's concerns and reasonably judging the veracity of those concerns. And the substance of the evidence presented that creates the rationale and underlies the concern. It's as if we've abandoned reason and instead you're either on my team or not on my team and the truth is sacrificed or the pursuit of the truth is sacrificed along the way. This is precisely what fixing the facts around the policy is all about. As George Bush said, you're either with us or against us, regardless of the truth. And then when we really have a truth teller in Julian Assange and the documents that WikiLeaks has released that have informed the public, it's like we don't know what to do with that. And being so ill-informed, we let our government act in the most criminal way towards Julian Assange, robbing him of his last 10 years and perhaps his life based on false claims. So... Again, let me just remind folks that we have had the great privilege of visiting with Kevin Costola. And if you are interested in more information and specifics about the whistleblowing activities and what it means to dissent, democracy needs dissent. Democracy expires when there is no dissent. And the dissenter.org is a repository of some important insights into all of the issues that we've just barely touched on today. In closing, any comments that you have, Kevin? Let me just say quickly that the First Amendment protects journalism by everyone. So I, I talked to your audience today. I talked to you as somebody who does this for a living, but anybody can engage in journalism and that constitution protects us all, which is why I think it's such a threat that they're going after Julian Assange. I totally agree. And I want to thank you, Kevin, very much. Thank you. All right. Once again, if people want to get more information about your group, how can they get that? Dissenter.org. That's the best way to get further details. Very good. All right, Kevin, thank you. See you next week. Don't be late. Also, we need you to switch on over to the internet if you're not already there to access Lost in Paradise coming up next on 91.7 KOOP. It's a show that evolves around laid back grooves, both old and new, nothing too slow or fast. Enjoy your time with Chad D. As we do every show, we take you out with Land of Naivety. See you next week. Breaks all his own love